welcome to the Health Tech Podcast. Here we talk about everything healthcare and technology, and I'm your host, James Somaru. Hey, everybody, this week I'm joined by Pete and Raj from Health Tech One, a young startup on a mission to give NHS staff one less task. How mysterious, guys. I'm sure we're going to get into it, but uh, welcome <laughs> to the podcast. How are you guys doing? Good, thank you. What a pleasure to see you again. So, yeah, really excited to speak. Yeah, definitely. It's, it's a, a nice, surreal moment because when we first met, I recognized your voice before <laughs> I recognized your face. <laughs> that was a weird, that was a was weird like, experience for me, man. Yeah. <laughs> Aren't you that guy? Was, like, yeah, it was like, I was like, oh, you know, you really sound like that dude. You know that, <laughs> what's his name? Dr. <laughs> James Somaru, you know, the, the guy who does that health tech podcast. He's like, you're like, yeah, that, that's me. <laughs> <laughs> it's so funny. It's actually not the first time that someone has said that in a conversation to me. Just like, oh, you really sound like this podcast I listen to. It's like, oh, that's so nice. <laughs> yeah, so it does, it does happen. But yeah, we met when... Uh, yeah, I was I was judging the LBS thing, um, the LBS competition, and uh, yeah, obviously met you guys there. I was super impressed at the time, and um, yeah, obviously been chatting since, and uh, yeah, had to get you on the pod, man. Uh, whereabouts are you guys speaking to us from today? We're in Dalston, so East London. Yeah, Raj and I actually live together and have worked from this flat for a good few years. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we generally work from Stratford, though, so that's where one of our practices are. Yeah. So we work from a practice straight in the middle, in the thick of a GP practice. That's us. Tell your story, guys. Like, this is, um, you're not necessarily, well, you're kind of from healthcare, but I know that you guys have had a, a journey to embracing it that you've uh, talked about previously. Um, obviously we met the LBS thing, which was quite a way down your journey when you, uh, when you won that competition, if my memory serves correctly. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, yeah. gave us a big 10k check. It was the that, first and a nice 10k check. check I've been yeah. given like that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Very nice. Well, tell me, tell me then what's the story here? You, you guys are uh, an interesting co-founding pay. You mentioned Monzo in there. There's obviously loads of cool stuff here. So yeah, for me and the listeners, tell us your story guys. Mm-hmm. I suppose it starts or begins in school. So both me and Pete went to the same secondary school together. Mm. Um, grammar school in, in Dartford. It was a bit of a trek um, to get there. And I suppose we, we, were, we were friends, but not really, you know, close friends. And um, we spend most of our time, was it on Xbox? Playing games we, online. That's it, yeah. We, we're a modern, <laughs> modern couple that met online. <laughs> that's, yeah, it, that's it, yeah. <laughs> We met in the metaverse. That's where we met. <laughs> that's it. I thought it was cool. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I think that sort of like love of games. And I suppose there is something there about um, games and teamwork. Um, and online games like fostering that. And that kind of created the connection. But I suppose there are other like Helix moments. Like if you, if you imagine our story, like the windings of a Helix, right? Mm. Look, you know, separating and coming back together. There were, you know, it started off in school. And then I think there was this infamous trip where we went to Amsterdam together. We cycled from London to Amsterdam. And I think that was a, that was a really special moment because all of our like other friends disappeared. Um, you know, we all met to go on this trip. All the others, they all bailed for some reason. And then we... It was last minute. We were super unprepared. So me and Pete were both there. And, you know, the day beforehand, we were like trying to plan going to, like cycling to Amsterdam. I'd got my mum's bike. Um, <laughs> there were Barely packed Yeah, anything. barely packed anything. And we just last minute just set off on this sort of journey. Um, and that was, yeah, we, I think it was like a real, a real moment because we, we went through some like hardship of, of, the, of the travel. And, and through that, we became like really good, good friends. Yeah, I remember we were about two days in, way behind schedule, and Raj is feeling the pains of this of his mother's bike. <laughs> Too small, not well adjusted, and he's got this thigh pain or something? It was the knees, yeah. The I mean, knee pain. Later diagnosed, I'll have you know, as Plica syndrome. Okay. So, yeah. <laughs> I shouldn't have laughed at him. Wow. Basically, basically... Uh, you know, my knees started to give out, right? Uh, you know, just this sort of repetitive injury strain. And I was just like, I, I couldn't cycle anymore. So there was this moment where Pete, you know, kind of 
I almost had to accept this, that this was happening to me. He gets out a bit of rope. I think your dad was like, you always got to pack a... Like a wise Chinese man, he said, <laughs> no, bring this rope. It may come in handy. I'm like, that's not true. I'll bring a, I'll bring a snack bar. But then on the side of the road, Raj is crying for pain. I've massaged him for like 10 minutes. And he's like, I can't move, Pete. We'll have to do it. You'll have to help me. And then the rope springs to mind. I'm like, I have a rope. I will, I will help. That's it. Yeah, there's so, he, so this is what happens. He ties the rope. He ties the rope to the uh, the bike, and you know we cycle like that, and we get to the sort of you know we basically make it to Amsterdam. Um, <laughs> and the story doesn't quite end there because you know through you know we're we're living out of tents this whole time, and whilst we're in Amsterdam, we're, you know we're doing doing what you do in Amsterdam, right? You know, going out, getting drunk, other things, yeah, <laughs> and then. Uh, and then I have this moment when we're cycling back home to our tent and I get my wheels caught in the, like, the tram line and I, f- I fall over and like, you know that feeling, I think people who've like, broken a bone or something, they know that feeling. You, you, you just immediately realise that something's wrong, yep. right? And you're like, oh, okay, this is different from a different fall. I've like, definitely injured myself here. And I remember like, dragging my bike out of the road and putting myself on the side and... And I was like, oh gosh, Pete, something's wrong. And so we're like, okay, well, let's you know, try and diagnose this. Let's just get back to the tent. So I'm kind of like cycling with one hand back to back to our sort of like tent area. And we lock our bikes up. And this whole trip, because we're cycling from like London to Amsterdam, you've got to go through these nice like French villages, as it were. And, you know, we didn't need to lock our bikes. I've been telling Pete for ages, come on, man, I don't need to lock our bikes so much. Like Pete's out here with like eight different locks, locking every <laughs> single bike up. Like a transformer, yeah, like boom, 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 inspector gadget. And I'm yeah. like, Pete, for fuck's sake, we don't, you know, our arm's injured. Like, let's just like, you know, one lock's fine. We don't need to put eight on, right? Um, and so then we go to, you know, we, we get back. I tie my hand up, et cetera. And, and at that moment, we, um, later on the next day, when we're going to the hospital and stuff, we're looking for our bikes and lo and behold, like stolen. Yeah. So tired, slept in tents for the past few days. You've got a broken arm, Raj. We've mm. lost our bikes oh. and we're in the middle of nowhere. Um, <laughs> so I think, you know, this story is symbolic of, you know, us going through trials and tribulations mm. and on our first deep moment together. Yeah, as friends. It's pretty tough. Yeah. And, 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 then, and then there's like a nice twist, right, in this story, right, where we're... You know, I call up the call up the insurance, as it were. Um, lucky mum and dad have been like, "You must get insurance course, before yes, you go on course. holiday." Yeah, of course. You know, they gave us that sort of wise words, and the insurance, like, lo and behold, came through. Like, and not just came through in a small way, came through in a big way. Not only did they pay for like, you know, my my lodgings and stuff like that, but they were like, "You need a carer," so we're gonna, you know, we'll pay for Pete too. So we went from being in this like tent to then being in a five star like hotel Excellent. in the middle of Amsterdam. Excellent. Paid for and then half board as well. So we got food, lodgings, etc. Legitimately, and we're may like, I add, before anyone makes any claims here, like legitimately <laughs> because you needed caring for, and Pete was your carer designated and assigned <laughs> medical prof- you know you know yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> right so we had the, this is like i think there's this video of us like you know in these bathrobes in the middle of amsterdam just like you know kind of living it up so it was our our rags to riches story james oh, absolutely well before you go before you go any further with this let me just say that finding a co-founder is difficult right um mainly because you've got to know that you've got to you've got to know that you can work together and actually that's where I think long-standing friends you can know one way or the other. But as you guys have talked about here, right? Like you, you figure out very quickly if you've got shared values or not. Because when you're faced with that level of adversity and, pro- and and problem solving as well, like can you actually do this together? You know, what is the balance between uh, solving the problem, going out and enjoying it? What is the you know? Do we need to solve this problem now? Can we do it later? Can we prioritize what we need to do? Also, am I willing to help you out? Am I willing to just drag you by the bike and then not give you shit afterwards because that really, really fucked me off? Like, um, you know, it's important and it's so difficult for people to realize this. And if this wasn't the first thing that you'd been through, you might have had to go through this in a company scenario and not actually realize the, the, the quality of the relationship would be able to actually withstand that. I think it is a genuinely important thing for people to realize that actually, yeah, go into business with your friends, but actually pick the friends because 
there'll be some of those friendship groups where that happens, where people aren't so aligned necessarily and you'll have a laugh about it in the pub later that you just left them on the side of the road for, I don't know, some different person to pick up or whatever. Like there's different ways that that will manifest itself, right? But, you know, taking nothing away, um, just want to say that like it's so important when finding a co-founder to make sure you've got shared value, shared beliefs and you can problem solve together. And I think if you can knock those things out and, and know that that's the case, like what a... What's a story to prove that, right? Yeah, I mean, you know, a co-founding relationship in many ways is a marriage, mm. right? You, you, you tie up all of your assets and your wealth together. You go and do a, something really, really difficult. Um, you're going to work, you know, all hours of the day to, you know, to make, to, to give your small little idea and start up, you know, a bit of breath of life. So yeah, it, it definitely is. It is that. And I think we have, we've always treated it in that way, haven't we, Pete? Yeah, I mean, that's only one story of many where our helixes tied together and they bound more and more over time. And they were all life challenges rather than business challenges. Mm -hmm. So that's helping a mate and, you know, get up and that's health. But we've also lived together. We've also traveled together Mm. and built a previous company to health tech together. And I think the biggest jump it's going from a mate to a life life partner. And Raj and I commit very deeply to things. So picking to go on a business journey together was actually very, very difficult, at least to say for me. Yeah. Yeah. For me, I was like, yeah, let's do it, man. I'm I'm down, mm. right? <laughs> yeah. And I'm I'm very optimistic as a person, but also very paranoid about that. 0.001% horror story mm. where you're closest a friend after 10 years of working together, something happens. And I've heard of these breakups before mm. and they really scare me. So when Raj and I came back from Japan and had a phone call about working together, I was really scared. I actually went to San Francisco for two weeks and spoke to 20 different Asian American entrepreneurs to <laughs> explore what working I think this gives friends. you an idea of like how therapy is, right? To think about, <laughs> I was like, I was like, <laughs> come on, let's work together. Let's just, you know, let's, let's it'll be fun, right? Yeah. And, you know, Pete's like, oh no, I got to take it super seriously. So he, you know, he, he kind of cold outreach to like 20, you know, 20 different Asian American Y Combinator founders, right? And then flew to San Francisco and sat down with them and had coffee chats to basically, you know, go through, you know, some of these key life decisions. I was just like, oh my gosh, taking it so seriously. But yeah, it was But you were impressed, right? And you were like, I want to go into business with this guy more because he is the opposite (laughs) to me. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I mean... That, you know, that wasn't the first, but the first actual moment I was like, oh God, I, you know, I love, I love this guy. It was when we were on that Amsterdam trip and I saw him wash his hands. Now this guy is like, he washed his hands like a doctor. I mean, he's just some, age, you know, just some kid, right? Uh, you know, and he washed his hands like, it was so clinical, you know, the way, he, the way he did it. And I was just like, damn, I could live with this dude. So clean. <laughs> so different. But yeah, it, it was, it wasn't a, a big moment where I was like, yeah, wow. Taking this seriously. I think I came back with a resounding yes. Every Mm. person came back and said, if you get the chance to work with a best mate, do it. You're going to be on a journey of so many difficult problems and shit times. And if you're going to do it, do it with someone that you like. And I came back saying, yes, let's let's do it. Let's jump into test projects. And I think that's founding sort of narrative one, like Mm. finding that co-founder, as you mentioned, James, going through life's tribulations and ups and downs. And I think the key thing for me and Raj is that we're very self-aware and able to speak very uh, authentically to our weakest vulnerabilities. Mm. And we've, we've cried up and down those helixes. We've cried so many times together as brothers, as friends. Well, more as co-founders. More as I, I think we didn't, we didn't do much crying and then we, and then we became co-founders yeah. and we've done a lot of crying. I mean, I was jealous about a girl one time. I think we cried over that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds so petty now. <laughs> difficult conversations have to be had, yeah. Raj. Yeah, that's right. I loved it. I loved it. Um, so to really like jump across the founding story, we have just lots of these moments where we tested each other, wanted to be better, asked each other to be extremely authentic and actually commit to growth. Mm. And that has become the most useful tool in our next two ventures, health tech being, you know, our, our life's work, life's best work, I think. Um, I'm also wary that, that can pro- talking about the helixes can take six hours. So <laughs> I think one story might be enough there. But perhaps we can talk about how, 
Health Tech One yeah. was founded. Like, it's yeah, a bit story there. So, so what, I, were you I doing before, like, what were you doing before Health Tech One? First of all, like, what did you? What? What? Where were you? Because you mentioned Monzo and and can, there's consultancy in there. And what were you doing? What were you doing in the run up? How did you amass the skills and the confidence to become an entrepreneur? Yeah, it's actually such a good good set of phrases because I think we think about our journey before Health Tech One as being the training phase, really, mm-hmm. in, in the narrative. Um, so when it, when it starts, so Pete, Pete was at Monzo, um, I was at Accenture, so I was working for the big evil corporation, um, <laughs> you know, but working as a consultant, working in and out of lots of banks, working on Brexit strategy and things like that. Automation projects. Automation projects too. Hint, hint. Hint, yeah. hint. Yeah. <laughs> and and I, I became quite disenfranchised with, you know, the whole corporate space. This is a similar story. Lots of people have experienced it before. You know, the, the incentives within large corporations, you know, aren't really aligned with delivering value for the client. They're, you know, they're aligned with selling the next project, really. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think I really chafed against that. And I, I really felt like there was like a lack of meaning and purpose in my, in my life in, in some way. Uh, and that prompted me to take a sabbatical. So I kind of went and did all the things that I wanted to do when I was a kid. So I, uh, I, went, I went to Japan, um, lived in Japan for a year and trained as a ski instructor. So I was living out on the mountains there and, you know, did you know, the, the kind of party stuff and, you know, set up a few festivals and did those kind of things. And then during, you know, sort of the, 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 summer, the summer months, I, I actually just been kind of interesting. I was just reading a lot and I read Yuval Harari's book, Sapiens. Mm. Um, and, and then, you know, so, and, he, and in, the, in his third book, 21 Lessons for the 21st Century, he recommends this like, like meditative practice. So he said, recommends this, uh, essentially his course called like Vipassana, right? 10 days silent meditation in Japan. And, you know, I had no time, you know, I had loads of time on my hands. So I just thought, God, who am I to take? This is, this is somebody I really respect giving me a strong suggestion about what I should do with my life. Like, who am I to say no to that? And so, I kind of took the plunge being somebody who hadn't meditated at all beforehand and went to this like 10 day meditation course and it's complete, in complete silence, you know, really strict regime, 4am wake up, you know, nine, nine, you know, sort of a uh, 9pm sleep time and then 10 hours of meditation each, each day. And in that space, I think the, the kind of conclusion that came out of that was like, I really want to make each day's efforts go into the next day if that makes sense. I want the efforts of today. I want all my, my work and effort of today to like really go into the next day. And I think that was the real sort of start of thinking, oh, like, you know, what if I start a business? And I had a really kind of interesting conversation with one of the other meditators and I ended up doing this like consulting project for his family business. They were like a Japanese lobbying firm. And it was, I was there to kind of look at their values and think about you know, how they can weave that into like, you know, vision, mission sort of, sort of narrative. And outside of the framework of like the corporate structures like Accenture with complete freedom to, to do things how I'd want to do it, I just was able to do a really fucking good job. And I just thought, oh, like, you know, outside of these confines, we can do a really great job. And I remember calling up Pete being like, man, like this, this feels so good. You know, we, we should start doing something. You know, what if, what if we started a company? What if we did something like that? And I, and I went to Pete because... Pete's always been startup Pete, right? <laughs> like since, since his yearbook. So in his school, in our school yearbook, right? Pete's got, uh, you know, I wanted to start, you know, wanted to run a business, right? That's that's you know written there what he's mm. going to do with the rest of his life. So he's always been that character in our lives that was, you know, I think that's pretty much your whole career, right? You've jumped from startup to company to startup. It's a real contrast, actually. Yeah, it's a real story. Yeah, looking for collecting skill sets to 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 one day start a company. Mm. Yeah, for me, I, I grew up in a Chinese takeaway and I was very much ingrained in family entrepreneurship. So the moment I could start reading and writing, I'm, I'm translating council tax documents and speaking mm-hmm. to the council. And the moment I can be presentable on the phone, I'm picking up the phone. And then when I can take the front of house, I can. So this idea that I had business acumen in me, I, I never noticed it, but it was always in me. And then there was this real sort of pride or... In, in, mixed with embarrassment, you know, growing up in that, you just want to be a Western kid fitting in the Western mm-hmm. world. And here's a Chinese boy in a takeaway. All my mates are playing football. I, I realized that, you know, I want to kind of reimagine what this means to me. In the early days, it was quite, you know, shameful to me as a little kid. But growing up, it taught me and gave me the blood 
like the pride in that sacrifice that my parents had, that energy is unlike any. And I knew that I had to take the torch in some way. And Raj and I thought very deeply about these factors when we started our first company together. But essentially it's, all right, there are, my parents can go from, you know, communist China to a successful life and take me and my brother to university with master's degrees in 20 years. I, I can't go into corporate. What can I do with standing on their shoulders mm. with 20 years more in me? So that was, va- like, that was the vast sort of energy I had. Not entirely sure what. You know, I didn't say, oh my God, this is the inception of an idea or here's a second wave of a technology. So I, I skill stacked. So my, my three sentence pitch is, well, knowing that I was going to start a business or a startup at some point, I've worked in companies of one, 10, 100, 1,000. I've been a product guy, a growth guy, and most recently an engineer, a software engineer, because I knew all of these sorts of skills will come in handy um, for when, you know, we start something big. And Health Tech One really represents, hints at the future part of this podcast, I guess, but we're, we're cashing everything in from that purpose to energy, to our relationship, to our skills into one moment. And it's this incredible startup, Health Tech One. Hmm. Um, yeah. But I mean, how, how do we get started, right? So Pete's going on this journey of skill stacking, ends up at Monzo. And I think I come back from Japan and I, I call Pete up and I'm like, dude, like, you know, let's, let's make this work, right? Let's, let's just start something. I don't care what it is. Um, let's just start something. And so what do, you, what do you do when you don't have a problem to solve, a big problem to solve? You solve other people's problems right and so that's what we did we set up like a consultancy it was called 2020 and it was different you know the idea was it was different from the consultant that i knew which was where the incentives were misaligned and we you know looked to take like equity in the startups that we worked with um so we had a really align you know align ourselves um to, to you know to their needs and you know, you know pete cashed in his network and we you know we started working with uh, an incredible um, entrepreneurs, entrepreneurs here yeah, here and there across the country and, you know, and a few others. And I, I think that was, that was a really like nice moment where we're in the training phase of like jumping into different projects, just working really hard, figuring things out, you know, delivering growth projects, delivering product, um, selling big deals or whatever it was and just getting stuck in with different companies. Mm-hmm. Um, and I suppose Throughout that, I mean, starting an agency is hard and you, you'll know this, right? Um, obviously, you've you know, done it. Um, because it's hard to be everything to everybody. Hmm. Um, it's, it's much easier. Uh, and, and the wisdom that we kept get, get, getting advice from was like, guys, you need to choose a niche. Like, you need hmm. to find something that you should specialize in. Um, and, and then, you know, as you develop specialist, you know, uh, talent, you have to learn everything again each, each, for each new client. And so I suppose we kind of went through that phase of thinking, all right, we need to find a niche, we need to find a niche. So that was one factor. We, we were quite, you know, we were just growth, right, as it were. And then the other side of it was that when we were working with our clients, I felt like, you know, we, we would often want to push the company further than they would, right? Um, and we were very, like, reliant on, on their own limitations, Right. And, you know, we, we wanted, I, I felt like inside me, like I, I wanted to break through walls to get yeah. something done. Right. You know, I want to fall deeply in love with my work. And actually I had to balance that against the, the need of like diversifying risk. Right. And, and making sure that we've got, you know, if this client tanks, then, you know, we've got other clients that are going to keep the money coming in. And then, you know, we had employees and then we were like, you know, we were growing and it was, you know, there was this, you know, suddenly we couldn't, fall in love with a, with a problem and bust through walls to get it done because we always had to hold ourselves back a bit. Yeah, great, great, great training wheels that we're using to this day. We've kind of been agency or service provider uh, founders before and we set up so many frameworks and internal ways of working. We kind of, you know, one of our taglines was blending you know, the traditional with the modern. So I brought, you know, modern thinking from startups and Monzo and all the other startups I worked for. Yeah. And Raj brought Accenture's best methodologies over, yeah. which are great, actually. Yeah, modern methods and timeless principles. That was That's it. it. <laughs> that was the guide phrase. Yeah. Still true, I think. <laughs> Definitely. Um, so, so we're going through this journey of like going through the whole agency kind of experience. Um, and this is kind of like during the, so we set up the company, it was called 2020 on the 1st of January, um, this agency, like expecting this big, you know, decade of, you know, exuberance as it were. And 
you know, instead we got delivered the pandemic, right? And my parents, who are both work, both work in primary care, so my dad's GP, mum works in the works as their in the practice as well. She's actually CEO of our little practice. We've got four GP practices, and she's like CEO of the group. And they were just like struggling, right? Like here's here's me me at home because you know I'm living at home at this this moment in time, like working my ass on the, off at the startup on this on our little startup. And I'm watching my parents who are like nearly 60 doing the same damn thing in like primary care. And we have these like moments where we're, you know, we're, we're like, we're stealing our ways from away, ourselves away from the laptop or whatever. And we have these like, you know, kind of these, these kind of, it's quite inspiring chats, right? And we're just talking about like life and work. And, I, but, but what I see is that I see my parents like really getting like a bit crushed, to be honest, um, by the space. And, you know, by the situation. And, and it was kind of this sort of like, I remember these sort of like, you know, clap for carers and we go outside and, and I sort of like proudly clap next to mum and dad um, on the street. But yeah, it was, that, that was interesting. So this is happening in the background. I feel like you're getting quite a muddled story, James. <laughs> but, you know, this is, this is happening in the background. Um, and then, you know, one moment, mum, mum comes to me and she says, um, like, hey, hey, look, you guys know digital, right? Everything is going digital now that the pandemic has come in. Like, why, why don't you help out, right? Um, why don't you get, get involved in the family business? <laughs> and I'm like, oh, no. I'm like, no. <laughs> I'm like, you know, with all this intention, you know, goodwill. Like, I'm like, no, uh, actually, I don't, I don't want to be involved in the family business, right? You know, what about me and my mm. ego and my pride and, you know, the fact that, you know, yeah, like what about what I'm going to build individual from mm. my parents? And I think this is this like actually runs pretty deep because like we went to a um, a grammar school, right? So um, you know, all different kids across you know across the country, um, in, in real melting pot spaces. And I think you know where you know where it came from. It I'm, I'm probably on the on the well off side of that mm. compared to like rest of my peers. And I and I just remember having this sort of like throughout my childhood, this really deep. Like feeling of like, ah, oh, like everything that I am is not because of me, but because of what I've been given, right? Because I came out the right womb, and this feeling of like, you know, and, and you know, and other kids would say it, right? They'd be like, oh mm. yeah, it's all right for you. You got you got a nice house or whatever, mm. right? And 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 it's true, right? I am so unbelievably lucky. Right. I've got incredible parents, you know, like real loving family home. Like I, I got given it good. Um, I came out the right room. I did. And in, in that comparison, uh, it was, you know, that, that was an issue. So like I've always as a kid really strived to like, create some independence, you know, leaving school. I just went off traveling by myself and, you know, didn't ask for anything and just, you know, and I never really asked for anything. So my mum kind of said to me like, oh, Raj, like, let, you know, work in the family business, let that be fun. The last thing you wanted to do. Yeah, I was in my head. I'm like, no, <laughs> you know, I could see it, but I'm like, no, like, I know I want some independence. <laughs> if I could just jump in on that, I think this is really relatable because I think, yeah, you're not going to be alone there. There are people that are born into privilege, uh, which is what you're talking about. And I think that does have certain, um, it has th certain things attached. This feeling that you're talking about of um, identity and lack thereof because everything is given and the position that you're in. It's funny, you know, there's the independent side of things, which I think is satisfied by doing something like traveling. I think it is. I, th I think, you know, not asking for anything and going out and, and you know, hosteling and partying and doing all of that stuff. But that has a shelf life because I think and I'm interested in, in this from your side because there comes a point with traveling and there comes a point with pleasure and luxury even um, of certain terms that it starts to... Well, tachyphylaxis, I believe, is the phrase in medicine where something has a diminishing effect the longer that you have it. And I think what tends to creep in, and you tell me, but a responsibility to then do something with that life that you've actually had. And I think that's the other side of this, whereas there's the independent side, but then there's also the responsibility side. And I think we all in this modern society stand on the shoulders of giants more broadly in society, but where it comes 
from your own parents, it can be hard because then you are standing on their shoulders. And even then, I suppose you're known as standing on their shoulders to do it. But I don't know. Did you feel this responsibility to then do something with it after this traveling? Yeah, I mean, I think what you said is accurate in that I've never really been able to respect chasing of money for money's sake, right? Mm. Or, you know, it, it always felt like I have to do good in the world in some way. And I suppose the misalignment with Accenture and working for these bankers, right? It's just like, what am I, what, what am I doing in my life, right? I'm putting all my time, energy, working all hours of the, you know, of the, of the day to, you know, for what, right? What's the outcome mm. of this? And, and can, I, can I be proud of that? Um, so yeah, totally. And, you know, in relation to that, I think if you think about like you know, generations of, of like Indians in this country, right? So my family Indian, um, my my grandparents came over as nurses and you know worked up in Newcastle, right? So mm. you know, worked in the NHS, and I suppose their whole thing was like I came over with a couple of pence in my pocket, you know, a couple of pounds in my pocket, and it was just about survival, right? And like making a new home in this space, and I want to send my kids to to univ- you know, to university. Um, like my generation yeah yeah but like, we're a generation but, apart yeah yeah definitely um, and then my parents generation it was like oh we've, we've got to get stable jobs we've been given it you know given this opportunity to go to uh, university right so you know, dad became a doctor mum became a lawyer right and then get made her own journey into, into healthcare um, but yeah it was all about kind of like creating this sort of professional um, space and, and creating the security right and then I think my generation, you know, with that security, with that safety net, right, not having to think so much as like, I've just got to, you know, create wealth and, you know, look after everybody. It gives me the freedom to think, what can I do with the world, right? You know, how can, how can we reimagine, reimagine things and make the world a better place? And, and, and that, that is a privilege, actually, that I... That, that I, I get to experience, but it's standing on the, you know, not just my parents, but my parents' parents um, mm. going back too. That, that took a bit of, you know, personal journeying, you know, talking about it to get to that, priv- understanding that it's a privilege though. Yeah. And to make that jump from, and it's such a complex psychological, you know, experience to take family expectations and the, the family desire to be safe and secure for you and to throw it away with, uh, a guarantee or like some sort of comfort that you're doing the right thing. And I, I think we're privileged also because of our family and our family have said, yes, break these expectations, do what you need to do and create whatever impact mm. you want. Because in mm. other families, it's often, no, guys, I'm so scared. Kids, do not. You must do X. Mm. You must move here. Yeah. And although you can break apart from that, there's a constant tension and no reconciliation for a while with the family, but we've been given, and this links to one moment we have as founders at the beginning of 2020, where we approach each other's families. And I take Raj's mum and dad out and vice versa. Mm. And we essentially say like, do we have your blessing? I say to Raj and his parents, like, this is going to be a 10 year journey. Let's work together and your family, we are part of this. And they, you know, they essentially put their hands up in joy and said, go for it. Yeah. And I think, I think for you, it was in Chinatown. Wasn't yeah, it? it was in Chinatown. Yeah. We went for a dinner with your parents and, and, you know, Pete's parents, that they speak in Proverbs, right? So, <laughs> you know, they, 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 they speak. sound amazing. <laughs> Mate, honestly, honestly, they are incredible. They're incredible. Yeah. Incredible cooks too. Like, oh my gosh, like we're constantly being fed by Pete's parents. They come around with stuff. Um, but, uh, yeah, like we're in this sort of restaurant and, and you know, asking for advice and blessings and that sort of stuff. And, and his, his dad said something to me that you know, I'll never forget. And he said, you know, don't, don't focus on, you know, who's working harder now or who's, you know, who's, who's doing more work at this particular moment in time, right? Know that things will balance mm-hmm. over time. So don't, be so sh- don't be so short-term focused, Um and yeah, there, you know, there have definitely been moments where, you know, we think that, you know, one's working really hard, one's like, you know, re- you know Pete's got a girlfriend or, you know, whatever, and he's hanging out with her and all that sort of I stuff. I love you, babe. I love you, babe. He's like, I love you, babe. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, I'm like, dude, I'm looking out the business right now. Um, and there, you know, times to come back to that proverb or that sort of that, that steer. And it's just like, oh yeah, these things balance out. Um, 
and you know that and that that ebb and flow i've definitely mm. felt it so there's, there's times same, same. where 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 i've been really like you know it felt like i was underperforming or i wasn't doing a good job i think mm. when we we're, when we um one of the first one of our first hires from 2020 days um when when she left the company i, I felt that really hard and i, I was like the fir- our first employee and she she left our like our little consultancy as it were and i felt i felt that really hard and you know actually there's that I felt the deep support from Pete in those moments. So it's like, it's ebb and flow and you can't be so short, short-term minded, you know, about mm. these things. There's something very wise in that approach with your parents as well about, you know, the appreciation that this is a life commitment. This is a, this is an all-encompassing, all-engrossing commitment that you're, that you're going into here. And I think it's really, it's, it's nice that you, that you guys have appreciated that and, and sought the, the blessing of each other's parents in that scenario, just knowing that they care, you care, everyone cares, everyone's aligned. It's, yeah, for, for many, that will feel like overkill, right? It'll just feel like, yeah, your own person, go and do what you want. But I think there's a there's a nuance here about uh, culture and there's a nuance here about family and how those two things combine to give us the situation that we're in. And I think, you know, that, that will not be relatable to some people that that even is as big of a deal as I truly believe it was for, for both of you guys and your parents. But I, I think it's, it, it, as I say, I think you guys have approached this with, with a sort of um, very wise, essentially. And I think wise from experience and skill stacking, I think is an important one and just gaining experience that way. And, and everything that everything's led to this point, right? So, what happens next? Health Tech One becomes a good idea. You mentioned, you know, coming to work for the family business, Raj, and and that side of things. So, yeah, what hap- what happens at this point? Yeah, so um, you know, we if Mum asked me to come, you know, us to work in the family business. I'm saying, I say basically no. Pete, <laughs> she then talks to Pete. Pete, Pete says, Pete says, I'll think about it, and then we talk to Raj. We talk about it, and that's where this sort of blending of, you know. Pete's super proud of his family and he, and he, we have this kind of teary conversation where I really get it. And, and he's like, mm. but man, like, why are you so ashamed of working with your family? Right. Having known me for such a long time, you know, this should be the most prideful thing you do. Um, it's the reversal of the quote you said earlier, actually, when you said everything I am is because of what my family have given me. And now it's reframed. If you say that sentence again to yourself, yeah. you go, <laughs> yes, that's right. I am. <laughs> everything I am because of my family. Yeah. And I've always kind of embodied that. And what made me cry was like, come on, I want you to see how brilliant and how privileged we are. And we deserve to take this further. And that was the real sort of unlock moment, I think, where it still took time to kind of understand. But we said, yes, let's go into healthcare. Let's take this project on. And you know what? Let's do the best job we can ever do for your family. Yeah, Yeah. totally, right? And we we commit to like, you know, doing like a two-week strategy project or whatever. And we we dip our toes in and, you know, we just see primary care for what it is, right? Mm. And there are so many problems in primary care, right? And... And it, we, our eyes are just like, kind of minds are blown, right? Mm. Just like in terms of the number of processes, the number of admin, the number of tick boxing exercises that need to happen. Um, and we're just like, oh my good God, there's so much to sort out here. And boy, you know, boy, do we have the skills to do it, right? You know, like w- w- this is, you know, we can bring all of this tech, you know, they've been working with the latest startups on this stuff and, you know, bring it into primary care. Um, you know, like now our family practice is using Notion, right? So, you know, you've got a GP <laughs> practice using, using Notion. As what, what are they using Notion for? What, to store all of their, uh, the company, all the company documents, right? Yeah. Like, you know, people are writing and putting Notion documents up yeah, using yeah. Loom. Processes, databases, it, yeah, yeah. Yeah, sure. In a GP practice, right? Yeah, like, sick. I mean, yeah, it's sick. Um, and so, you know, we kind of have this journey where we're, you know, with like, oh, we do a project in, in primary care. And we just get we just get some real strong traction. Like we we looked we kind of the strategy. We came up with ten different things that needed to change. One was a website. One was the you know the way in which we do patient triage uh, in the GP practice. So we can tick the first one off. Um, and and actually the third one actually was about increasing the list size of the GP practice, which kind of brings us to our like our first kind of automation at some point later. But tick off the first, made a new website, beautiful thing put that up online next we jump into like triage so we're we should go through the shopping exercise 
and we're looking at different electronic consultation products because the one we had in the practice just wasn't serving our patients. Um, you know, no confirmation messages, um, you know, just re- really difficult to use, really long-winded forms, etc. cetera. Um, and so we went through the shopping exercise and then we ended up implementing a new patient triage product. And what we did there is that we completely changed the way in which we work in the practice. So we used to work in, we've got four, four practices and um, now five actually so four four practice sites and each one used to operate kind of slightly individually um, to do like online consultations and what we did is we centralized that into into one hub and created like an e-hub and now we're kind of using a triage product to sort of do you know 2,000 you know, online consultations a week right and we've been made, made a national like blueprint for that and essentially we just you know we got we got some really strong trajectory really quickly in this space you know, got nominated for HSJ award, that sort of stuff. And, and, and for me, I personally just felt like, oh my God, I've never in my life, you know, all these different companies I worked at, never in my life have I been more effective than I have in this particular space. And there were a couple of reasons for that. You know, as a consultant, you know, working for these big companies, you spend most of your time, you spend 50% of your time reporting and telling everybody how great you are and what you've done. You know, real gloss stuff and 50% of your time doing the work. And actually, I didn't need to do that Mm. in mum and dad's practice, right? Because I had carte carte blanche authority to just get shit done and change Mm. things up. And so I just spent all my time getting the work done Mm. and... It just worked. You know, we sorted a whole load of stuff out and I could just see this experience of my parents where they're just like, oh my God, my lives are much easier. Um, and my dad's, you know, suddenly really happy. <laughs> and he's you know, going from the space of being super stressed about stuff and you know, stressed about the, the declining list size of the practice and the declining revenues that are coming into the practice and you know, the you know, profitability and all that sort of stuff, you know, and, and delivering good care to, to then actually feeling like things on a different uh, trajectory. And that, and that was kind of, that was pretty awesome. Um, there was one project that we aced in particular, which was yeah. patient registrations. And it's a bit of segue forward, but we had helped them bring their patient list size back up through, you know, we ran a marketing agency, growth agency before. Better touch points, more automated flow. So their list size was suddenly growing now at a really rapid rate. Um, and I remember coming back together, we're having dinner, I think, and we order like a katsu curry mm. from Uber Eats and within 15 minutes or 20, it arrives and we're eating and we're pondering this kind of transition moment from you know a service-based agency to a product-led company. And we're thinking, oh God, like is there, is there something we could build here deeply? And we're at the moment where we're really being persuaded by health tech. Mm. And we kind of say, yeah, I think we could spend decades in this space. Mm. We kind of make this informal decision. And actually what formalized was, yes, let's put Pete and let's work on patient registrations as an inside project within the agency. And let's see how far this goes. And Raj had been in the practice doing so much scoping and deep work on understanding the problem. And he had this vision moment where he saw, yeah, patient registrations, it's so far behind. We need to help the practice and the patient get registered. How can it take six weeks to get registered at some practices and get no care at all and 15 minutes for us to fill our tummies? So that that was a really painful, but also an inspiring moment where we thought, F this, let's bring brilliant people, us being the first in this type, into this space and let's dedicate. Totally, you know, the world's smartest people are working on the wrong problems, right? They're working mm-hmm. on, and that's, that's the feeling we have. And, and now hopefully this is you know, a moment where we can inspire the next generation to think, actually, let me, let's not build something that people want. Let's build something that people need. I love it. So I think that the first thing to, I want to drill into what, uh, what the product actually does and the value and where you guys are at and, and all that sort of stuff. <laughs> definitely, definitely want to go there. Um, yeah, after <laughs> we have we have to go there at some point. The first thing, though, before we do that, I think it's worth just housing this in a bit of reality for everybody listening. That like what the business model of a GP practice actually is, and you're pretty qualified here, Raj, to well, I'm Pete now to talk about this. And people might not realise that what you talked about there, you talked about the stress that the owners of a GP practice feel because of the business that they have to run, and so. Let's just talk about this for a second. So the business model of a GP practice is, first of all, you mentioned list size. That's the number of patients that are registered at that GP practice that they then look after. And 
in order to get revenue into the GP practice, and correct me if I'm wrong, that list size is directly related to then the revenue that they are given by the NHS, um, which means that, okay, you operate a list of X thousand, therefore you get X hundred thousand to run your practice. And then you then have your costs, the drugs that you give to those patients and the, the systems that you use and all that sort of stuff. Now, those systems and processes are also linked to the experience of your customer. And whilst the patient does not pay you directly, the NHS pays you and, and stuff for the amount of lists that you have, how good your experience is for your patients influences who's going to register there. And so you're actually competing in a little way with the GP practices in your area, in your catchment area and that sort of stuff, because you want the largest list size so you can get the highest revenue. You can create the most impact with your patient groups and all the rest of it. And so the processes that you use, so when you talk about Notion, that's a really interesting one because, you know, for the price of a Notion subscription or indeed probably the free one, you can then run smoother processes. You can have better staff that are higher morale, but also more efficient. You can see more patients, your waiting times drop and therefore you've got better experience. More people are likely to register there. So that's really interesting. Also, you mentioned marketing. You mentioned the fact that people knowing that your practice exists, knowing how good it is, it's got a good website, it's got these things. All these things matter to the, to the really smooth running of a GP practice. And actually, it's interesting that when you go into GP, you don't think that you're going to run a business at some point, and you don't have to, by the way, but if you want to, and if you want to get involved in what the business of general practice is, you end up being a partner and you end up owning a practice and you end up having an equity stake in a practice or an equity partner or however people describe it. But that matters. And so all of these things go into running a GP business. And so for you guys as consultants in this role to then go in and optimize process, talk about marketing optimize all these different elements that make it run better, that make staff morale better. You know, you mentioned your dad being really happy. Think about the other stuff too that end up being happier because of different processes being smoother and all these things. And this all feeds into the better running of a GP practice as a business. And the better a GP practice runs as a business, the more impact it can have. And it wants to have more impact because it knows it's treating people better than the one down the road. And therefore you want to increase the list size and all these different things. So I think it's really important for you listening to know that that that, that is an apology. So if I've butchered that for any GP partners listening, but that is my understanding of how a GP practice works and the value of different business functions within it. And so for consultants to go into GP practices and actually talk about optimizing it, that's directly linked to impact. And so I think that's really, really, really important to, to raise first of all. And what I want to go into now, I suppose, is the registrations element, this project that you've done very well that's you know turned into um, a product of your, of your now, I guess, software company. Um, is that that's an important problem to solve because we all know registering with a GP is the last thing I do when I move house because I can't be bothered because I know. <laughs> well, it's true. I know it's, I know it's, I know it's terrible. I know it takes me ages. I know that I fill in the paperwork and it sits there for ages and I don't get a call back and I have to chase right. it. And it's just all, all these, all these things that are just really difficult. And, and I, I, and then I just think, oh, sack it. I'll just go to Babylon. And actually, cause I can do that on my app and that's just dead easy. And that's literally oh. what happened. That's that's literally the story of how I'm now registered with with GP at hand, right? That that's that's a real case study. Same for me, same for Jess. Um, and I could be registered down the road, but I also know I know so also know it runs badly because everyone on the local Facebook group says how long it takes to get waiting like appointments because yeah. the waiting time right. is so long. So talk to me, talk to me about this registrations thing. Talk to me about everything I've just talked about and reflect on it for me. And just talk to me about registrations and how that fits in. If, if you link that back, right, the fact that you've gone and joined Babylon, what that does is that it means that you're not signed up to your local GP Correct. practice, which means the income from your registration Correct. doesn't go to your GP practice. It goes to Babylon. Correct. Right? So, so what's happening, and this is why there was a declining list size for you know, a lot of GP practices around there, is that you have these sort of you know, Babylon types who, who nail you know, the registration process, yeah. make it very easy for people to get sorted. And they suck up all these young, healthy, digitally yeah. savvy patients who actually have you know, a, low, a lower burden on GP practices. And so you, you, you kind of disturb the balance. Mm, um, because they don't have expensive know, chronic conditions and they don't, correct, right, yeah. yeah. Sure, right? So then what happens? You get all these GP practices across the country, you know, le left essentially with, you know, not very digitally savvy patients who need a lot of support, right? And the burden of each patient is more. And, and that kind of really disturbs things. So actually, you know, 
by fixing that registration process, making it very easy to register, um, you can you can realign that or re, rebalance the, the books mm. as well and compete basically with Babylon. That's it. Mm. Your GP practice every day is competing with Babylon. <laughs> right? And think about how many like you know you know Babylon's you know an IPO'd company. I mean, I mean, and they've got a lot of resources and a lot of tech talent to build really straight you know, functional mm. systems. Um, but that's what your your local GP practice is competing with. Yeah, there there are accelerator cohort companies. So yeah, lo- also yeah, love you guys. <laughs> kind of um, with the registrations products, right? I think it's too easy to use the Uber comparison that we used before. It wasn't a spark in a room where we thought, oh, curry mm. means better onboarding. We did bring that consultant mindset, and we looked very clearly on what brought it practice income in and what were the expenses. And then by sitting in the practice and doing loads of admin tasks and watching people shadow. And it's so great being in the practice to have a doctor at any point answer your question, a nurse, admin staff. We realized that obviously this practice, we can improve the registration process and thereby increase income, reduce the admin cost there as well. And people, you know, salary is actually another big cost basis of GP practices and then improve the flow for patients. So it was like a triple win we saw. And to us, it represents um, a wedge into the market. And also the vision that Raj and I have had, you know, I was at Monzo before, so I've seen new startups grow in a highly regulated space. Raj had seen automation at enterprise scale in banking. So we both had banking concepts from other industries come in. We thought this is highly automatable. And actually midway through building this project, there's an Oxford automation report on primary care. Lo and behold, patient registrations is one of the most automatable tasks on on the list. So that's the high level. But really jumping back to the moment after the curry, we said, let's jump in. Let's go and build a prototype. Let's go serve this. And towards the winter of last year, we're doing everything very manually, actually. So we build a new form. Um, we kind of pull it up there on the four family practices mm-hmm. and we start owning all of the registrations ourselves. And yeah. practically that means, you know, I'm sitting at a desktop in the GP practice, clicking really quickly <laughs> and doing registrations manually. Myself and Raj, we're just being admin staff for a good few months, right? Yeah, yeah. We got taught by this incredible guy called Sani at our practice and he, he taught us how to essentially do registrations right and he you know, kind of like gave us all the, all the wisdoms of it and it's actually a super complex process but you know at the beginning we didn't have an automated product right we just had an online form that looked like it you know and we was like hey it's an automated registration form mm. and people would fill it in but it's actually me beating that's how the you prove the use of it though that's how you prove <laughs> that there's a case sure right and that's you know how we got our first client outside of the gp practice um out for, outside of the group of gp practices that our family is um and that was uh you know, that's kind of like our first moments. We're like, oh, this, this is something that can work um, and, and and kind of scale. And we realized that patient registrations is just one admin task of, you know, of 100 in GP practices that can be automated away. Um, and, you know, all that time is, you know, can be spent by admin staff on actually speaking to patients and, you know, pick, picking up the phone and being there and answering and actually looking after people. And they do such important work. Like the the admin or patient care coordinator staff within GP practices, like are so fundamental to the smooth running of a practice. You, like, it, and they're often they're often underlooked. They do a lot of silent underpaid, work. Underpaid, underlooked. Yeah, have sure. a tough time. Yeah, totally. Understaffed as well. They're just who you know. There aren't enough people doing this sort of work. Unsurprisingly, um, so with registrations, we you know we built a digitized, fully automated product which kind of hits, if you look at the old process and the new process, the key points that we had improved. So the first one is that it's paper-based typically up and down the country. So we digitized it and I'm bringing my kind of Monzo UX and customer centricity to building a really good form. And then Raj has seen automations happen at scale. And it's like, we don't need to put a person at the other end of the form. Mm-hmm. It's last, last kind of Christmas, it's about a year now, actually. We built our first automation that takes that digital form mm-hmm. and automates it into ultimately this really clunky, unreplaceable system, EMIS. Mm-hmm. And although it's highly functional and very well understood, it, it's slow to work with and it often becomes a kind of pinch point or bottleneck. So it's, it's a perfect use case because in banking, you have the same. You have yeah. legacy applications that then... You know, you do mundane, repetitive tasks on. 
Yeah, this is a solved problem in, in other in industries, right? You know, people use automation regularly to into you know to, to work with legacy systems, um, and so th- you know that's what we're doing. And, and that skill stacking of the past five to ten years of Raj and I suddenly comes into place where we we identify the opportunity, immediately build product, get it to market, start operating it, mm. and actually we drive towards monetization in the early days because the routine sort of answer from everyone was you can't sell to GPs. Oh my goodness, they don't mm. want to buy any of your stuff. And surprisingly, and also unsurprisingly, I guess because we're working on helping the workforce, it did get lapped up and. People are willing to pay for automated product. And yeah, unsurprisingly, again, patient registrations is a key part of practice income, uh, about 70%, right? 70%. There's obviously financial incentives for, for hitting health targets, right? Health so, targets. So and you stuff. Would have heard things like cough and things like that. Yeah. So we've actually just focused on making this registration process really great. And with a bit of typical entrepreneurial naivety, we thought it's doable. But along the journey, we've realized it is so much more complex than you expect, <laughs> right? We thought just an adult registration and then there's children and there's elderly, then there's families. So yeah, so we're, we're innovating on this sort of one single thing. And our thesis throughout is one less task or just one fewer task. We see that thing you're doing. Let's try and take that completely away from you. Again, naively in the early days, it was let's do 100% of it. We want to really remove this burden. And that was the passionate drive for us. We eventually learned that, no, you don't have to do it all to have impact. You can, mm-hmm. and as your dad quotes, right, Raj, yeah, yeah. he says, um, you know, it gets over the bell curve, right? Automatically, you know, process the 80% and then leave us with the 20% where we need to focus it. And, you know, the example would be, you know, a child tries to register at your GP practice without a person of parental responsibility also registered the GP practice. Hello, safeguarding risk, right? Like we're not meant to, you know, don't automatically process that, actually pass it over. So, you know, a lot of our work and we've just brought on a GP, found, I found a clinician, Lydia, um, she's incredible. Uh, and she's been really pushing that sort of like, all right, how can we make this super safe? How can we, you know, ensure that the, the product you know, really, mm. really supports the practice in it from a safeguarding yeah. end. Oh, it, it just, you know, that's the nice stuff. We've grown really quickly on a great product. But along the way, it's been, you know, we've had lots of hiccups and we've been, you know, because we're resilient people and have a great team, we just continue to solve it, jump mm. in the practice. And yeah, we can talk about that a bit as well. But it's funny yeah. just how, how, you know, if, if you were to ask a load of entrepreneurs, I've heard this said before, if, if you ask a load of entrepreneurs, like, would you would you do this again if you'd known how difficult it was going to be when you started? And how many would say, absolutely not, it would be ridiculous to try and solve this problem if I'd known everything I knew now. <laughs> like, it would be ridiculous. But I think that's part of, it, it's part of it, you know, isn't it? And, you know, I, I look back at what I thought building Somex would be when I first started and had no idea the complexities and the multifaceted issues that come up in order to get over certain layers of growth and and service and client relationships and competitions and there's there's so much there's so much more to it than you think but then as you're going through it, and you guys will know this too like as you're going through it and you get to the other end of an extremely complex problem or very difficult period based on something that's happened you sort of end up thinking like, oh my God, if everyone else has got to go through that to get here, like there can't be many people beyond that. Like there must be a heck of a moat behind me at this point. And then you look at the amount of agencies that exist that are massive and you're like, okay, I'm not, <laughs> but <laughs> I'm not actually so amazing at all, am I? But <laughs> there might be a few skeletons the other side of this fence. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Um, or perhaps not, perhaps everyone gets yeah. through. But do you know what I mean though, right? Like you must feel proud yeah, yeah. Of, the, of where you've got to, knowing that there's a moat behind you now. And yes, there are a couple of competitors that are popping up, but you know that either they've got to go through what you've already been through and or like if they've got through it fair play there's a respect there right and i know that you know looking at competitors and things pop up there's this there's this duality between like oh no there's someone coming for my lunch but then also hold on a minute if they're banging the drum and we're banging the drum there's clearly a market for this and if they're looking for them they might find us too so 
there is a duality yeah. there as well about competition increasing um, yeah. what, even perceived a third market. layer in healthcare, even a third layer in healthcare, which is oh, they're also making you know fixing the system too, Correct. right? So there's yeah. that, that that extra yeah. layer of like oh, well, I, I've, I've said this on a couple of podcasts. Yeah. What Musk says, mm. doesn't he? Like I don't care if Tesla goes bankrupt if it makes the if it turns the world onto electric cars. I've done the right thing, and it was a good yeah. use of time and money. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. Amen. It's, it's yeah. true. Interesting. 100%. Interesting. So where are you guys at now? Like what's the what what do you in fact a couple of questions right before we wrap up. Yeah, where are you guys at now? Like what what do you track? What impact are you making per practice and how many practices are you in? What are you up to? What are your ambitions for growth? So where are you at now? What are you what are you looking at and what's your ambition? Yeah, definitely. So, I mean, I'll, I'll give us an idea of where we're at, right? So, as of as, as of this morning, um we've registered you know, over 20,000 patients, right? So 20,016 patients to be, to be exact. Mm-hmm. Um, and last month, mu- last month it was, well, in November it was, uh, in, sorry, in October it was 4,879, right? So we're, 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 we're tracking up, we're live in 25 GP, live and paid for in 25 GP practices across the country. Um, some in London, some in St. Albans, Manchester, Durham, you know, different, different places. Um, and we've got this, like, we're building this really, awesome team and it's not and we've kind of bringing in some of the closest people that we've thought in our network personal networks we think god you're excellent love you in our in our our company and they've they've joined um with some people outside of that network uh as well the the ambition and goal i suppose it's it's a funny one this right because you know every sort of like investor will ask you oh what's your what's your grand vision what's your billion dollar business you know uh sort of conviction as it were and i really think of it differently i think of it as like increasing scopes of vision based Mm. on having achieved something so you know it started off being like we're just going to deliver one less task for nhs staff right Mm. if we can just do one right (laughs) if we can do one then we can do more and now, and like we've we've done that now. We've you know we've automated one one task. And now it's kind of thinking, all right, we want to put a virtual worker in every single GP practice in the country, right? So we want to get to that level of scale. And then it's then it's getting to the next stage, which is like, all right, we want to build an automations platform, right? That doesn't just do one task, does many tasks, right? Uh, and we embed further in GP practices, but then also start to do the work between primary, secondary, and tertiary care. So there's a lot of you know the connections that happen between those spaces, and it's still mind-boggling to me that you know when a secondary care wants to send something to primary care, you know a letter still gets sent. I mean that is just absolutely mm-hmm. mind-boggling that sacks of letters arrive in the practice for us to then code that data into the clinical system. Um, you know like there's some seriously things that are broken there. So, you know, then can we fix those sort of things? Um, and then I suppose like the, the grand vision, you know, if I get really, really excited and I think dreamy, I think, God, I'd love to turn like, you know, NHS or NHS institutions into like tech hubs, mm. you know, make them really techified um, and ultimately plug the supply gap that we have, um, you know, for NHS stuff with technology. Right. Mm. You know, what's the ultimate way, you know, what's the, the, the historic way we've always, you know, done more with less, right? And that's technology. So, you know, how can we continue to to do that and move that needle forward? Um, and, you know, I think I'm, I'm a bit patriotic, you know, I'm, 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 I very much care. Like, I really want to fix the problems here. And I think Pete's always been like, bigger he's like wherever i'm like whenever i'm like oh yeah i've got this is a big vision you know i'm happy with this pete's like no 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 we can do more mm-hmm. you know <laughs> they say like you should have a fuzzy goal and like realistic steps or visions towards that goal and i'm the fuzzy like this is where we balance our strengths and visions it's i'm the hugely fuzzy thing in the up top right in the clouds <laughs> like let's take this international let's improve whole economies whole health systems across the world because we will pass these filter bubbles and keep on going. I truly believe it. I think you've seen that in me. Yeah, I have this yeah. kind of keep on going, head in the clouds idea. And Raj is that solid step visionary, which is mm. all right, the next year, the next two years. And that balance together makes quite a nice trajectory and kind of force moving forward. Yeah, I mean, to, to kind of say something nice, right? Um, the thing that Pete's kind of given me is he's had me believe in us and mm. what we can do. And he's always pushed like, oh, we can do more, we can do better. 
And then we do end up doing it. <laughs> and where I'm mm. a little bit like, oh, I'm not sure. I know there's greatness in us, but, you know, I'm not sure, a bit insecure, you know, in, in those moments. But Pete's always pushing that boundary. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and, and now it's got to a point where I'm just like, there is not a single shred of doubt in my being, right? Mm. That we are, we are going to drive this and mm. keep going. And whatever adversity we face, we're going to keep going harder and faster. Um, and, that's, and that's really joyous. So when you kind of, ask like, oh, how are we doing? I think, you know, I can give you the business stats. I can give you all of that kind of stuff. But what, 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 but what I really think is important to share is that that alignment of like, you know, spirit, spirit and soul and direction um, is there. And, and that's why I feel good. I love it, man. I think what you guys have put together is really impressive. It really shows that founders with complementary skills are the ones that go far, right? It, it's, it, you differ... You differ wonderfully. You differ spectacularly. Um, you differ very productively. <laughs> wow, I'll probably conclude with that. Um, and I think you, yeah, with the whole with the whole story you've told and and your appreciation for some of that softer stuff as well as the hard metrics and knowing that team work and and teams that excel require more than just what you can track in metrics and i think your story kind of shows that there's the classic sort of iq versus eq and and you need both and i think you you both seem to have that in spades and with the skill stacking you've done with the ambition that you have with the practicality and the realism that you have and with the frankly the unfair advantage that you started with that you've maximized both in your backgrounds and also in in um uh, in in literally having a GP practice to work with and finding that, I th- I think respect there too because if you are going to have that impact that's going to make you proud, if you are going to take that responsibility that for you know making the world a better place, making your family's practice a better place, giving a better life for you and your family, that you know that responsibility that you feel it's nice, it's nice that you want to you want to you know break your neck to try and work hard enough to do that i think it's it's going to make you guys feel good and it's it's important for those with and we've talked about privilege a lot but i think it, it is important for those with privilege to to go and do that and actually stand on the shoulders of the giants to put them there and 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 try and give back to everybody and the goals that you have the ambition that you have to do that at a, an nhs and actually international scale um I don't doubt that you guys will keep that as your driving force and your energy. And I, I appreciate that of you. I think that's really nice. Um, it's been a pleasure having you on, honestly. Awesome stories that you guys have got. I can't wait to hear the rest of the the stories yeah. in that in that helix that go from uh, <laughs> zero to here. I'm sure I'm sure there's plenty that you can't mention on this podcast that we'll we'll, we'll share over a drink at some point. <laughs> Um, but guys, yeah, if, if people want to get in touch with you, and I'm sure they will, be that from a from a GP practice level, be that from even I don't know what level you go up to with ICSs, ICBs, and who you want to get in touch with. But if there's anybody that does want to get in touch with you, um, either personally or through the company, what's the best way for them to do so? Yeah, definitely. Um, so we're at a stage now where we've you know we're working with individual GP practices that's gone really well, and now we've actually just won our first contract with uh, GP Federation. So we're rolling out. For, across the 41 GP practices in Lambeth, right? So if sort of like people within GP federations want to get in contact with us, I think that's a really nice um, inroad. And I think that we can do something great there. Um, I think that's a really nice, uh, from an NHS perspective, I think, talk to us. That sounds great. Um, also, I suppose other good news, other bit of good news is that we've, you know, as we found out kind of just recently, we've just won an Innovate UK grant. Um, you know, big innovate Ukraine grant to go and do something really game changing for this country and really build this automation platform out. And so the, the big ask that we're looking for is like incredible engineers. So engineering talent, people who want to, you know, who are, who are mo- you know, not just competent, but are motivated by making this, you know, country, you know, really great, right? One of our best institutions better. Um, let's, you know, get in touch and talk to us. We want health tech missionaries to join. So. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. So, Hopefully like, it does. yeah, you know, Raj at Health Tech One, nice and easy. Uh, so yeah, just contact me there or LinkedIn or Pete if you. Pete want. at Health Tech One, yeah, easy to guess. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Awesome. Well, nice. Pleasure. Absolute Thank pleasure. You Thank you so much for joining me and coming on. Uh, can't wait to follow you guys and see where this goes. It's super exciting. Hey, everyone. Thanks for listening and making it all the way to the end of this episode. 
Remember to subscribe, rate us and leave a review. And you can head to the description of this episode to follow me on all of my social media so you don't miss out on any of the latest health tech content.